0: You're listening to the Armchair
1: Cricket Podcast. Hello all, welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast. As the euphoria of the World Cup dies down, Uh, We are done with our World Cup Digests and we'll be returning to the regular format where you can expect one or two episodes from us every week. I am Ajit and I'll be your host today. My co-host Giri is still away on a holiday. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Adam from the Cricketers New Zealand podcast joining us and helping us go through how the New Zealand public are dealing with the loss of the World Cup final and so on. So, without further ado, let's listen to what Adam has to say. Hello, Adam. Hello, Ajit. How's it going? Hi, it's going good. As good as can be after that adventure of uh, finals. How are you guys doing back home in the New Zealand?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's, well, it's uh, it was a week ago now, or just on a week ago. It's uh, it's an incredible match when you when you think about it. i um, so so close and um, so much emotion involved in that match. And, and you think about the the scenes from the English players at the end and the distraught from the, from the Black Caps players and. Uh, the whole talk about the match as well, it seems like it's still going on. And, and it's a match that's going to be talked about for years to come. And and everybody everybody's going to have an opinion on about how it should have finished and um, the
1: little uh, turning points in the match. Indeed. Is this the greatest ODI ever, do you think, so far in the history of ODIs? Or do you have another one that you think is better than this?
0: Um, that's, a, that's a massive question. I mean... I went and saw New Zealand versus Australia at Seddon Park in 2007. And New Zealand on that occasion, we chased out, I think, 340-odd to one, um, And I mm-hmm. remember Matthew Hayden getting 181 and smashing some massive sixes. And, and then we were in trouble, being 40 for four. And, and Cravey Villain got 100, and McCullum got 80-odd. And, and it was an, an amazing, amazing atmosphere. And I was there. Um, so I just remember just the feeling when we won especially because we beat Australia and the way we played in that series as well. It was just an incredible event. And, other, I mean, other matches that I've seen, I mean, the 1999 Cricket World Cup semi-final between Australia and South Africa was an, an amazing match. I just remember that, that finish, incredible scenes, you know, Alan Donald and, and Lance Klusener involved in that run out and, and just the emotions again with that game. Um, outside that... Um, I mean, obviously, the 4-3-4 game when South Africa chased down Australia's title in Johannesburg and just Tony Gregg's commentary and the fact that, you know, no team had, had chased down 400 before, let alone, you know, 443. It was an incredible match. Uh, so th- those, those ones are the ones that, that stand out to me. When I was young, I remember Chris Pringle uh, bowling a maiden over to Bruce Reid, the last over of a match against Australia. Uh, again, it was an incredible match. But you've got to put it in context. You know, this was a World Cup final. This is not just an, any old one-day international. So based on that, based on the finish, based on the fact that it went to a super-over, I, I could say there's a strong argument for it being the, the greatest one-day international we've ever played.
1: I would say yes. So for me, um, it's more like, uh, because of the context of the final, also uh, first-ever ODI to have a super-over, right, result, and in such a, you know, momentous occasion. Also, look, uh, the two teams were so close, they were tied twice, and finally some archaic rule about a boundary count had to be invoked to get a result. So, a game can't get closer than that, is my opinion. Therefore, uh, I would think this is the greatest ODI I I have ever witnessed. The other tie, the 1999 semi-final of the World Cup, Australia and uh, South Africa, would come next for me, Right. But then the 438 would come third for me yeah. because uh, it was it was a great match. But without a doubt, also, probably we'll never see the likes of it again. Right. But at the end of the day, it was just a bilateral series. And it was, I think, a decider of a bilateral series even. But that still doesn't mean the same thing for me as a, you know, a end of a World Cup. what that happens once every four years. So for me, this was the greatest ODI. Now, uh, if you were to look at... Uh, yeah, how are people dealing with it? Are the fans still gutted? Does it, if you go to the supermarket, do you still have people, you know, grumbling about it, or have they moved on?
0: Uh yeah. I mean, look, I think everybody handles things in, in different ways. Look, I'm, I'm the I'm admin of the New Zealand cricket fans forum, and we have four four and a half thousand members, um, and and there's still a little bit of a a backlash towards the decision by um, I guess the ICC to to adjudicate the, a tiebreaker with a boundaries scored um, system, you know, it's to be to be honest, I feel that we got so close yet, you know, to to not lose a match, um, but to tie a match yet still not win the World Cup, it's deflating, isn't it? I mean, you, you're not going to get closer than that, are you? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of um, a lot of people that that aren't taking it very well, well, to be honest. I mean, I think a lot of people would have rather another system. Obviously, there was that Ben Stokes overthrow that went that went for four that ultimately gave them six runs. And now um, it's come out that it should have been five runs, not six runs, and that Rashid should have been on strike. And all, I mean, all those little things. You think about the LBW decisions as well. Um, Jason Roy, um, you know, could have easily been given out off the first ball of England's innings. And you, you think about you know Ross Taylor as well being adjudged LBW when it was going over the stumps. Um, so, you know, there's all those little things that I guess people are going to look back on and think, well, what happens if those things would have gone New Zealand's favour? Would the match have turned out differently? Um, and I think in, in, in particular, I think the fact that we tied the game, yet we still lost, in, 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 in effect. You know, we didn't lose the game, but we didn't win the World Cup. And it was, England ended up being winners, thus winning the World Cup. I think there's like, that fact that, that is, It doesn't sit quite well with a lot of New Zealand fans, to be honest.
1: Yeah, indeed. I can imagine that. It it was not a match lost. It was just a tie which was decided on a technicality. It doesn't feel like a real loss. But, I mean, if you are the winning team, you would take it. Considering that, you know, the rules of engagement were sort of agreed on beforehand. Everybody knew this is what was going to happen. Unfortunately, you know, for me, it, it was a real, real shame because the way Jimmy Nisham played in that super-over batting effort, come on, man, I mean, you know, once somebody concedes 15 runs in a super-over, it's more or less done. But Jimmy Nisham never gave up. In five balls, they've scored 14 runs in two of the last ball. And, well, I mean, also a bit of kudos to Archer, right? He held his nerve in spite of conceding a six and, uh, and everything. In the earlier part of the over, he held his nerve. The last two balls were really good because three of two, if he had held there, maybe Nisham could have hit him for a boundary and the match would have been finished, right? So I would like to give him a bit of credit there. What do you think about the way Archer Oh,
0: Jimmy Nisham Jimmy had a fantastic tournament, didn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, Joffrey Archer, I mean, what, what a talent this guy is. And he, we, we need to remember this guy's been involved in these type of matches in the IPL before, so he's got a lot of experience. But at international level and in a World Cup final, it was something else. You know, his first delivery was a wide, and it was a close wide, wasn't it? you know, very close to the line, and, and, and he didn't look, exactly look too happy about it. And then you think about that delivery that went for six, and, and it really it really put the match actually back in New Zealand's favour. I thought when we hit that six, and Neesham hit it over the wicker for six, I thought, wow, wow, yeah, this is, this is our game, it's in our favour now. But he, he bowled beautifully um, in his remaining deliveries. Um, The guy's just got so much composure and, and confidence in his own abilities. He's, he's definitely um, going to be a great player one day.
1: Well, I mean, we hear that he's suffering from a little bit of a side strain, so he's recuperating. Otherwise, you could very well expect that he would be a part of the England squad that is going to start facing uh, the Irish team in a test next week, right? Absolutely.
0: I, I think that Geoff Arch is going to be up there as one of the greats, actually. He's that talented. You know, he's, he's a bit like Michael Holding. He's just got a, a, a smooth run-up and he bowls with extreme pace. I think him and Rabada will be the two
1: young pacemen to watch out in the future. Indeed. Going back, do you have a specific moment that you would pick as the key or the pivotal moment of the final for you, Adam?
0: Uh, I, it's, it's, it's quite hard to, to nail down, down one. Um, I mean, look, you, you, know, you could you know, you could say Ross Taylor being out LBW uh, was, a, was a bit of a turning point. I mean, obviously, you know, Martin Gupto ended up using a, a review early on, and, and, and as a result, uh, Ross Taylor didn't have a chance to review his decision. And if he would have reviewed it, it would have been overturned because the ball was going over the stumps. Um, you know, think about some other little moments, you know, when New Zealand were batting at the end, Joffre Archer bowled a, a great spell, and Colin de just really struggled to get bat on ball, and usually he's a, he's a fine striker of a ball and scores at a good clip, but um, at this time around he, he couldn't he couldn't get on with it, um, and eventually hold out in the deep. Uh, in, in terms of, of the England's innings, I mean, look, Jason Roy you know, that was a real close LBW decision, you know, on any other day that, that could have been out. And you think about when New Zealand played India and, you know, Virat Kohli w- was given out LBW uh, to an, um, you know, which ended up being an umpire's call, you know, and if, and if Virat Kohli on that occasion was given not out and New Zealand would have reviewed it, wouldn't have been out. So, you know, the, the, those those close calls happen in cricket. Um, I think for me, Josh Butler's innings was a massive turning point. He came in and he just... Played extremely well. Like you could, he the energy that he brought uh, was, was phenomenal. You know, okay, Ben Stokes played a fantastic innings, and we know that he ended up, you know, winning the match ultimately for England. But for me, it was was, jo, it was uh, Josh Butler coming in and just providing the impetus that England needed because they were getting behind in the run rate at, at one point. Um, but the, he he came in, hit, hit the ball beautifully, rotated the strike well, him and Ben Stokes together just add so much energy and this, their ability to keep the run rate ticking over uh, was superb. And I thought those two guys in particular in a real tough situation, with England being full down and plenty still to get, showed so
1: much composure. I mean, I definitely agree, Josh Butler probably played a very important part, but Ben Stokes was there till the end. And a four down, I thought, you know, New Zealand will take this away. You know, they're going to constrict England and not give away enough runs, which more or less happened. But the way they both counterattacked, the way they counterattacked through singles and doubles, you know, there were not a lot of boundaries hit, which is sort of what you would expect once Josh Butler gets going. But I think they they came back in a very nice manner. So uh, that credit has to be given. But for me, the pivotal point of the entire game was when there were 22 required of nine balls and Ben Stokes hit a ball to... Trent Bolt in the deep who took a catch and took a step back involuntarily and stepped on the ropes. I mean, if he had completed the catch, you know, Marty Gopfield was literally just a couple of yards away and he threw the ball just one or two seconds late. If he had thrown the ball before he stepped on the ropes and if Ben Stokes had been out that ball, it would have been eight balls, 22 runs required and I expect that would have been game over. So... Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And you think about, you know, Trent Bolt, you know, he's taken so many incredible catches in his career for the black caps you know in, in the outfield um, spectacular ones ones that have been featured on on uh, you know, ESPN I mean he's this guy's an, an extremely good fielder and he tends to pull off the unexpected catch but and you know and unfortunately uh, for whatever reason I don't know if it was the pressure or not knowing where the boundary was but you know he fell on the on the boundary I mean, as he was trying to flick the ball back in and it was ordered six runs. And, and, and you're right. It was a
1: it was a massive point of the match. That's the, that's it for me. Also, I don't think he did a very good job bowling the last over or the super over. To be frank with you, I mean, there there are also some talk in certain circles. Was he the right person to bowl the last over? Maybe Matt Henry could have had one over retained so that he could have bowled the last over. So there are all there are all these ifs and buts. There are no end to this. But for me that could have been a turning point so uh, if i've trent bolt who also took such a very very important catch when he you know stopped that shot from uh, carlos brathwaite from crossing the ropes you know if you remember that was also a match winning shot if anything and he held on to it that was probably a tougher catch than this i mean when you look on tv at least and he had yeah. took yeah he took that comfortably and this one uh, i'm like oh god man you could have wrapped it up here but he still had another chance because he was going to get the ball yeah. for the last over
0: yeah, I, I guess you've got to also consider that the angles at Lord's are a little bit different as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's slightly shorter boundaries as well. Um, you know, he was a little bit closer to the boundary when he when he attempted this catch off, off Ben Stokes. You know, in terms of his, his death bowling, I mean, you know, look, it's, it's quite hard to, to criticise someone's bowling. And sometimes you've got to give, you know, credit to the batsman. That, that that shot that Ben Stokes had for six was absolutely outrageous. I mean, he, he was completely spent. And you could see... He had no energy left, and how he hit that delivery for six, kind of falling over, mm. was absolutely, you know, out of this world. And um, and you got to remember as well, you know, that that delivery that um, that Stokes he hit down the ground for two runs. It was a full delivery, and then Gupdal obviously threw the ball in, hit Stokes and, and went for well, you know, went for six off the overthrow. Right. Um, you know, that was still, you know, a good delivery. I mean, I don't know if it was an extremely poor over from Bolt. As much it was some extremely good
1: batting by, by Ben Stokes. Indeed. Also, we have it wouldn't be complete if we didn't discuss the skipper of the New Zealand side, Kane Williamson. I mean, is there a more magnanimous person in the world of sport currently? I don't know, man. Adam, what do you think?
0: Look, um, look, he's a, he's a guy that's um a bit of a different character than what our previous skipper Brendan McCullum, was, or is. Um, you know, he's a he's a, just a calmer figure. Uh, he's he's he's, he's composed. He's not the extrovert. Type that Brendan McCullum possessed, or the you know the the, the guy that wears his heart on the sleeve in the same kind of manner. But you know this guy is a guy that can get his his troops to to follow his lead, and he leads by example, and he's got a really great demeanor, and and he, and he instills a lot of self belief in his side, um, and and his and his tactics are a little bit different than Brendan McCullum's as well. He 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 does he does things a little bit more subtle, um, with little field changes, and 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 obviously changes in terms of um. You know, bowling changes, etc. So you know, this is a guy that, for for me now, was just developed into the role as captain, um, not only with his tactics, but just in his, his ability to, to lead a side. And as I said, he just does it in a little bit of a different way than what Brendan McCullum did.
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, that um, that press conference after the World Cup final, it'll stay with me forever. Also, that that video of where I, I think it's become viral now, where uh, one of the reporters asks him, "You are now the man of the series," and he's like, "Me?" So he himself can't believe it that he probably thinks there are other people who would probably go ahead of him in on that. But all that is so unassuming and so, uh, you know, so nice to see. Um, most teams, you know, if it were to be England on the losing side or even India, you would see a bit of outrage there in the press conference, maybe a bit of hurt at least. Yeah, I mean, look,
0: I, OK, I mean, OK, uh, you know, from the press conference, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I guess what, what could he say? Um, you know there's there's been a few, you know a few reports back home in New Zealand about you know the questioning the the rules and questioning you know deciding World Cup final based on boundaries. and I know Gary Steads come out and said that it you know should have been a shared trophy. I know that I guess that's another argument. Could we've had a a shared trophy instead of having one team
1: awarded the World Cup based on boundaries? I mean, I think that would be the right approach if let's say going forward, So uh, there is this very nice article on cricket Firehead where they suggested a couple of other alternatives. For example, head-to-head in the league stages could have been one measure. Um, There were three measures they were uh, recommending. None of these were something as trivial as a boundary count in the final, right? So if if you don't want to adapt any of those, I would say, yes, a shared trophy would be the right way forward. Come on, it's a 48-match tournament. You've come to the final and you've tied twice, right? Then I think a shared trophy... Still makes sense to me. See, I, see, I disagree with that
0: completely. Mm. I don't like shared trophies at all. I think you play that much, and for six weeks to find out who the best team in the World Cup is. Now, in terms of options, like I think another super over would have been would have been great to see. Um, I'm I'm not. I wasn't 100% comfortable with us losing based on boundaries. I get that's the rule, so I've got I've got no problem with England winning based on that. But I think an extra super over would have been good. Um, just also, you can't also deny that England have a, had a better net run rate during the tournament than New Zealand and also won the head-to-head match against us. So that's why I've got really no problem with mm-hmm. England winning the World Cup or, or being adjudged winners of the World Cup.
1: Right. Um,
0: but the, the boundary rule, um, I mean, for me, I, I, I'd rather a team win outright based on some type of criteria. And I think there would have been no qualms if, if England would have been adjudged the World Cup winners or the tournament winners based on either head-to-head or net run rate, and we've also got to remember that New Zealand made the semi-finals based on net run rate, so New Zealand got their place in the semi-finals based on net run rate instead of head-to-head over Pakistan. So, are we judging the World Cup winners based on one game or based on tournament criteria? I guess that's another uh, question we need to ask. I mean, if it's based on on, a, on the one-off game, then I reckon an extra super over would have been would have been good to see. Um, or if it's going to be based on the tournament, then England in that regard would have been ahead
1: on, on the run rate and also head-to-head as well. I mean, look, I'm not going to debate too much if England is the deserved winners. They did really well. It's just that the Kiwis on the day did not deserve to lose. That's all, right, based on their performances on the field that day. Well, I mean, we could go on a bit more, but I definitely agree that um, another super over could have made it really easy. You know, could have probably decided the winner, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I mean, that's how it, it is done in football. If you don't finish in penalties, you go into a sudden death. I can yes. respect that. And, and I think, I mean,
0: that's the, I think that's the, the disappointing thing. Like This was one of the well, the greatest one-day international of all time, arguably. You know, we both think it is, and, and so many other people out there think it is as well. But there's also going to be a lot of what-ifs about the game. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a real shame. You know, if, if England would have would have won the game by you know a, a run, for example, in the Super Over, I don't know if we would have had this much debate as what we are having now. Um, I mean, obviously, there was the Ben Stokes moment. Uh, a lot of fans back in New Zealand uh, are upset about that particular rule. Um, you know, I don't think Kiwis are taking this as well as what some people think they are. Yes, yeah, some of the players probably publicly are. Um, but, you know, as I said, I've, I'm the admin of, of a Facebook page that has 4,500 Kiwi fans, um, and there's some upset people. And, and in terms mm. of the, the, the overthrow, I don't think that necessarily costs us the game, because, you know, for example, you know, if, just just so hypothetically, if that didn't go for, go for four, and they'd only run two runs, they would have needed seven runs or three balls with Ben Stokes at on strike. Now we don't know what would have happened from there. Would Ben Stokes have gone for the big shot? Could he have hit a six? We don't know. Um, alternatively, if it was five and Rashid ended up being on strike, basic to the letter of the law, um, suddenly, you know, they need what four off was it four or three? Um, sorry, four was it would have been four or two, wouldn't it? So Yeah, four or um, Four or two. So you know, Rashid could have, you know, hit it for a streaky four. Rashid could have got a single and got Ben Stokes on, on at the last ball and, and, and England might have needed three off one and Stokes could have hit a boundary off the last ball. And England could have won. We we don't know how it would have panned out. So that's why I don't necessarily think that that incident necessarily cost New Zealand the game. I think yes, we would have been in a better position, but we we just don't know. Um, and I think for me, that's the disappointing. There's so many what ifs about this game. And, it, and, and it, as, as I mentioned, I mean, it, this is the greatest one-day International that I've seen, an incredible match. And, and it's a shame that there's always going to be these talking points um, basically forever.
1: Mm, mm, indeed. But yeah, I mean, I think as fans, we would probably uh, be left a bit unsatisfied no matter which way the match would finish. But it is a, yeah, it's so, you know, palpitatingly obvious that it could have been done in a different way. Anyway, uh, going on... Uh, for no end to the magnanimity of this uh, New Zealand people. I'm wondering now because I hear Ben Stokes has been nominated as the New Zealander of the year. Did you know this? I did. Yeah, I posted
0: something on my website the other day on my Facebook page, and and it's crazy to think that he's been nominated for New Zealander of the year. Look, I I only know that the criteria is basically um, you know anybody that's New Zealand origin, but it still seems pretty strange that. And Kai is representing, England's being nominated for for New Zealand another year, especially when his innings essentially won the game for England over us in the World Cup final. It's a it's a bit of a ridiculous decision, I think. Not playing yeah. down Ben Stokes is incredible feats, um, and I'm and I'm sure that you know he still, um, like like a lot of people who who immigrate to different countries, still, um, still you know still looks back at his his, his origins and is still proud of where he comes from, but Like,
1: he's now representing England. Indeed. I agree on that. Well, I mean, at least Kane Williamson is also nominated. And I hope, you know, Kane Williamson wins, at least, if not Stokes, right? So, Kane Williamson, I think, has been exemplary. And he's been a wonderful ambassador for New Zealand throughout this tournament. And a deserved man of the series at the end of the series, I would say. And therefore, well, I mean, he deserves to be, if anybody, the, you know, the Kiwi of the year. Yeah, let's see if, uh, you know, I hope he wins. All right, uh, let's go a bit further now, Adam. Are you uh, watching the first test, the women's Ashes uh, that's currently in progress?
0: I haven't, I haven't, I haven't watched any of it at all. I know that at least Perry got another hundred. That's an incredible feat by her. I mean, she got that double hundred against England uh, last year. Uh, she's an incredible athlete too. You can to remember this is a this is a lady that uh, was involved in the Australian women's football team, and and she was involved with, with a goal that ended up getting the Australian Women's football team into the World Cup when she scored that goal against, was it Iraq? Iran, I think it was Iran, in the um, the World Cup qualifying. So, mm. qualifiers. So, you know, she's a pretty incredible athlete, isn't she?
1: Pretty much. I mean, she also took a 7 4 in the ODA series preceding this test. And, well, going into this test, the England women's team were uh, trailing 6 nil because in the Ashes uh, women's ashes, they count all the points of all the three formats combined to determine the winner, right? So in this case, the England uh, women uh, were 0-6 down. And starting this test, Australia won the toss and having elected to bat, they are now 341 for five with about half a day's play lost yesterday to rain. Um, Perry made 116. Meg Lanning, the skipper, made 57. Alyssa Healy, 58. And Rachel Haynes made 87 and missed out on 100. But their innings is not done. I mean, looking at amount of time left two days in the test, it, it looks really really very tough for England to win this game and more or less I think the ashes is won by the Australian women's team what do you think of that
0: uh, I, I i don't follow their cricket enough um to be honest I, I mean I think it's I mean it's uh it's a great initiative to get women's Test cricket back up and running again for me and um, I think women should play more cricket and it's great that it's called the ashes as well I think it's um I think it's brilliant stuff it, it's a a bit more importance to the series, um, and as we just mentioned, Elise Perry. Um, you know, they've got some some other brilliant players in their side, um, Mitchell Stark's wife, um, Elise Healy. So I mean, they've got so much talent over there, um, and and it's great to see women being able to play the longer form of the game.
1: Yeah. So a couple of questions uh, that I see. One is, uh, is it a good idea if uh, in the future, you know, now there is a World Test Championships taking place. But maybe in the future, these bilateral series could be decided like that, do you think, where you count the points on all the three formats and then decide a winner rather than um, allowing that there is a test series winner, there is an ODI series winner, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What, what do you think?
0: Are you, so you're talking about you get what a point for winning the one-day series, a point for winning the T-series, and a point for winning the T20 series? No, 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 it's
1: more like I think uh, you get two points for winning an ODI, you get four or five points for winning a test. And you get one point for winning a 2.20. So if you have like a series of three ODIs, three 2.20s and one test, for example, I think you have six, three, nine, four, thirteen 13 points on offer. So whichever team tallies the highest number of points is the winner of the overall series. Something like that.
0: Uh, I, I Personally, I, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. I think the formats are all different in their own right. So I'd, I'd rather just keep it the way it is, um, to be honest. I, I mean, and, and I like the fact that there's a, a test championship now, which does give more weight to, to test series, in particular test matches. Um, so in, in terms of accumulating points with, on that basis for a test championship, yes, I, I agree, uh, but not overall, not not all formats being aggregated to some kind of point system. That's one thing I don't agree
1: with. All right. That's uh, just an interesting thought that, The ladies cricket team have uh, already uh, come up with this or the ladies cricket have already come up with this sort of a way of doing it. Maybe in the future, uh, we'll see if it can also be adapted in the men's game. So that's just a thought. The other one as a precursor to the ashes, the men's ashes. So which way do you see this going? Just, you know, it's a prelim discussion. It's not, we don't need to go into it too deep. But. Do you see uh, English cricket team retaining the Ashes, or would you expect Australia to storm back now that they have a Smith Warner back in the team and the fast bowlers fighting?
0: Wow, I mean it's um, it's going to be a, a brilliant series, and and it's 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 kind of funny to think it's only a couple of weeks away, isn't it? You know we've had six weeks of one day cricket, they have a bit of a short break, and then they're back into playing Test matches again. This is going to be a really interesting series. I mean, you think about the this Australian side hasn't beaten England over in England in the last four series I played, and I've brought over some very good sides. And we've got, we've got to remember the, the, the series in 2015 when England won that series, and there were some incredible performances over there. Um, you know, short Broad's bowling performance in one of those Test matches, out of this world. You know, T. Smith made a, a double century. It was an incredible series, as they always are. Th- this one will be this one will be again fascinating. Australia will, will have a good bowling on up to the, in their disposal when you have get. Josh Hazel would be back in the mix. Uh, Mitchell Stark found some form in in, in the Test matches against Sri Lanka earlier in the year and also had a great World Cup. Um, You know, we added Nathan Lyon, who's who's one of the best Test spinners in the world at the moment. Pat Cummins has come on leaps and bounds. You add in Smith and Warner to the mix, and we know that, you know, Steve Smith is the best Test batsman in the world. Um, You know, he's statistically averaging over 16 Test cricket. You know, David Warner, yeah, like he can be found out away from home. Um, but he's still a classy batsman. So you add those you had that mix and some of the other players in and around that side. Um, I'm not sure the Kawaja will be back at the back for Australia, but I mean they've they've still got a, a very strong side. Looking at the England side, uh Joffre Archer, you'd you'd think that he'll come into the mix. You know, he's got a very good first class record and, and we've we'll just talked about the talent that this, this guy possesses. Um you know Stuart Broad back in the mix, okay, he didn't have uh, a great series against the West Indies earlier in the year. Um, you know, Jimmy Anderson um, has been injured lately. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it'll be, um, you know, a fascinating series. I think England are still trying to figure out their test team, uh, but they, they were shocked by the West Indies earlier on in the year. I think at the moment, they're just still trying to to, to, to get that balance quite right. Um, you know, you think of, you know, Joss Butler has been playing in there. You you know got folks who's a keeper as well and, and Beersto and, for me they just seem like they've got a they've had a few too many bits and pieces players in their test side, especially against the West Indies. They haven't really been able to settle on the side. You know, James Vince has been in and out. They've had some issues with openers since Alistair Cook retired. So yeah, I mean look I I, I would say that Australia would go into that heavy favourites for me. However, it wouldn't shock wouldn't surprise me if, if England were to would tip Australia up. It's gonna be a great series, even as a neutral. Um Actually, in pretty good times in New Zealand starts around I think around 9:30, mm. our time. So hopefully, I'll be able to get through and watch most of the first sessions of play, which would be great
1: all right yeah even even i can't wait for these uh, ashes to start also uh, also the england ireland test which starts next wednesday i'm 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 waiting desperately for test match cricket to start and i'm uh, you know as we claim to be you know purists and we claim to be like fans of the longer format of the game it's 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 something i'm really waiting for and as you say it it will be a very interesting ashes i think australia I wouldn't put them too far ahead of England, but they they are slightly ahead of England. I, I would I would say Australia are the favourites going into it, but I think this England cricket team may yet shock them. I think given the the high they are on, at least the first two to three tests they would be very strong going into it and. Let's see if Australia can withstand that and maybe take the ashes home. Uh, They haven't won the ashes uh, on the English soil in a decade, if I'm not wrong. So it's anyway a big challenge for them. Under Justin Langer, I think they have a new sort of a mental makeup. So maybe, you know, let's see if they're able to take it home this time. Going forward, um, if you look at some of the other, uh, you know, stories from around the cricketing world, uh, there are some couple of unfortunate ones. First of all, Zimbabwe has been suspended by ICC due to government interference, it looks like. There's too much government interference going on. And as a result, um, ICC has decided to suspend Zimbabwe from all international cricket. Do you think this is a good thing for Zimbabwe, Adam?
0: It's, it's hard for me to really discuss the political side of it. But yeah, I mean, for Zimbabwe, it's a, it's a massive shame. You know, we think about, you know, some of the, the very good Zimbabwe sides o- over the years. I mean, you think about you know, looking at, you know, the 1999 side you know, there's some, some tremendous players, Neil Johnson and Murray Goodwin and you know, Heath Streaks and the Flowers and, and all those kind of guys and you know, even the size in, in the eighties, you know, someone like David Helton was was, you know, such a um, integral part of the Zimbabwe setup and, you know, you think about also, you know, um, you know, Sam Curran and Tom Curran's father, you know, that was that was Kevin Curran that was part Kevin of the Curran. Zimbabwe set up in, in the eighties. So, you know, this is a this is a massive blow to Zimbabwe cricket and and, and it's really sad to see, you know, you, you wonder where Zimbabwe cricket's going to go from here, whether they'll ever get an opportunity to ever compete again. And, you know, for me, it's, they're kind of going down the same road as, as where the Kenyan side went down, you know. Like Kenya at one point were, were so close to getting test status, and and, and now look at them, you know, the, 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 the miles behind the pack, and they've got a lot of work to do over there. Um, this will set Zimbabwe up a lot. I thought them not making the World Cup was a massive blow to the cricket. This is this is massive ramifications for them, um, and and it looks like they'll lose a lot of a lot of guys to to county cricket, or a lot of the players may may stop playing cricket altogether. Um, it's an absolute shame what's happened over there. A massive shame. And, and you think about the early 90s when they they lost a lot of players that um, that moved out of Zimbabwe. You know Henry Longa was one. You know after the 2003 World Cup, it, it's just it's just a shame shame to see. Uh, I don't know what the what the fix will be over there. Obviously, it go, it runs pretty deep, uh, but this is going to affect a whole lot of a lot of their players. Um, and 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 it's sad to see a demise of a of a of a country that at one point was was really starting to to develop in an in, in international cricket. But due to politics and things outside of cricket, they haven't been able to quite reach their full potential.
1: Indeed. I I completely agree with everything you say here. I really hope they sort the problems that are currently ongoing and they are able to find a way forward. Right. The other thing. Well, speaking of government interference, I was reading that um, the Sri Lankan sports minister has asked SLC, Sri Lankan cricket body to, you know, oversee or overhaul the national coaching setup. Good idea again, because. We see certain countries have a bit more political involvement in sport or their political bodies have a bit more of a say in sport, right? So how does New Zealand stay out of it? New Zealand's cricketing structure, I understand, is a little bit smaller compared to some some others out there. I hear there are as many as 400 to 500 professional cricketers is all in the entire country. With that, how does New Zealand keep its sport, um, let's say the sport governance, uh, free of government interference? How, How do they do that? I
0: think we've just got really professional... Sports bodies that run our games in this in this in this country. I think that and, and they've been able to find ways of being able to to direct create revenue. I think that's the the, the one thing. And um, uh-huh. probably with the government governments don't tend to step in to our sports. Maybe like those other countries, that's probably it as well. I mean, look, the Zimbabwe situation is a little bit different, isn't it? I mean, there's uh, there's a you know, there's a whole lot going on over there. Um, that's that's not even sport related as well um, lots mm. of issues political issues uh, we know um, the dictatorship that's going on over there all those type of things so you know their, their situation is different I think New Zealand's been able to find a way of, of being able to to keep sport and politics relatively separate um, and I think that's been it's been very good for us in, in, in all sporting codes um, and I think having that divide definitely helps.
1: Indeed, the other not so nice news that we have read in the last week is that uh, Ian Chapel, the Australian former captain, has revealed that he is currently battling skin cancer, though not a very aggressive kind. But it's still a very you know, upsetting sort of a news if you are a fan of cricket. It's he's such an incisive, uh, you know, ana- analyst of the game. And uh, sorry to hear that he's uh, undergoing this uh, problem. We really hope he comes out of it on the other side, very happy and healthy. Adam.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's a such a good commentator as well, you know. He's always a bit of a voice of reason. I mean, he comes across sometimes a little bit grumpy sometimes in the box, but you know he keeps it real. And and you know, I've always enjoyed his his commentating. You know, it's a shame that uh, you know Channel 9, when Channel Nine lost the rights that his commentary um, he's been he's been most basically. So you know, I, I'm you know I, hopefully he gets better.
1: Indeed. All right. So going further, there are a couple of other small news. Uh, so Tendulkar. Alan Donald and Catherine Fitzpatrick have all been inducted into the ICC Hall of Fame. Three very deserving players, do you think, Adam?
0: Uh, we, I mean, the little master. I mean, you know, how good is he? You know, one of the, one of the great players of, of his generation, wasn't he? You know, arguably the best batsman of his generation, along with Brian Lara. And, you know, his, his one-day international record is phenomenal. I always remember that series when he was promoted up the order, to open the batting for India against New Zealand earlier in, in the 90s, and, and then from there he just made the opening position his own and and just scored a truckload of hundreds and in and, and both one-day internationals and test cricket. He's, he's been a phenomenon. Still one of the most popular people in India as a legion of the game. Great guy on and off the field. Um, some of his battles with you know, Shane Warne and the Australians was you know, he's, he's just, yeah, I can't really say much more about him. I mean, Alan Donald's an interesting one as well somewhat of an underrated player when you think about it um, you know for me what a, what a performer you think when he came back or came into the South African side in 1992 and um, you know he really first made his mark with the zinc all over his face when South Africa were remitted into international cricket you know it was white lightning 145 ks an hour uh, just a champion player um, such a great athlete as well carried the South African attack for years along with you know Sean Pollock when he joined him and just, yeah, phenomenal cricketer. And, and great to see that, is, that, is, that his um, performances have been rewarded and he's in the in the Hall of Fame.
1: The third person is uh, Catherine Fitzpatrick, former fast bowler, who's won the World Cup both as a player and as a coach. So I think uh, she was also very rightly inducted into the ICC Hall of Fame. Going further, it has come out that ul Mulhaq, who was the Pakistan cricket's chief selector, has decided to not renew his contract, which has come to uh, an end at the end of the World Cup. And he says he's done with it. Uh, do you think his time has come? Or uh, what, what do you think about his uh, fast industry? Do you think he set up Pakistan cricket well for the upcoming years?
0: Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think Pakistan now have a, have a good group of young guys coming through. You think of Barbara Azam, and, and you think of Shadab Khan, and and Shaheen Afridi. I mean, they've got some good kids coming through, and, and they could be really real force come the 2023 World Cup. Look, I know that he was under a bit of heat, you know, for a selection of, um, of uh, Aman Al-Hak in the side. You know, there was, was a lot all over incident about that and, you know, certain favouritism towards his his nephew. But, I mean, Aman played exceptionally well, didn't he? You know, um, and what a what a one-day career he's establishing and he's only a young man. Um, so maybe he just got to a point where he just wanted to move on. I'd imagine being a selector or being and the coaching staff of, of Pakistan would would be a, would be full of pressure. Uh, they they do love their cricket. They do have lots of expectations on their side. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who comes in. I'm not sure whether Mickey Arthur's going to be coaching them anymore. Maybe that's a maybe that's the reason why al Haq decided to step down.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think given the way Pakistan performed and the amount of criticism they received from their fans, I think there might be a overhaul also from the coaching staff in the Pakistan cricket, men's cricket. So it remains to be seen uh, who they appoint if they decide to go in for a change or whatnot. So that, that, that news is still yet to come. So I guess we are still awaiting that, right? So going further, it looks like BCCI is also inviting fresh applications for the coaching role of the national men's coach, cricket coach. But the incumbents automatically automatically are also put into the pool of options. So Ravi Shastri, you know, the uh, fast bowling coach Arun, um, then the batting coach Sanjay Bangar, all of these people are also going to be, uh, the incumbents are also going to be on the list of probables. But BCCI has actually invited uh, more uh, applications from out there. So do you see any potential replacements for Shastri? Do you see any other high-profile coaches who are currently free who might, you know, throw their hat in. Just
0: on, on coaching, how much does a coach affect a team when, when you really think about it? I mean, you know, you look at that Indian side that lost to New Zealand. I mean, that was that was a, as good a Indian side as you're going to get. Maybe give or take a few players. I'm not really sure whether coaching was, was the issue with them as much as just getting the right mix for their team. Indeed. Uh, and, and, um, and, and it really comes down to, as well, selection and preferred players, and I think Virat Kohli has a massive say in does isn't he? I mean, and you think about um, the, the the scenes when uh, Virat Kohli and uh, Ravi Sajri having discussions on the balcony uh, during the New Zealand versus India match, I mean, obviously they were disagreeing about something. Um, whatever it was, um, who knows, maybe it was um, the fact that Dhoni came in at number seven, but you know, I think for India, it's not necessarily getting the right coach, it's just getting that right mix of players because that with looking at the players in their side, they've got enough talent. Um, and on any given day, they, they might've beat New Zealand and they might've won, they might've won the world cup. They'll get a very, very good side. Um, so going forward for me with them, it's, it's just about being able to, to bring in some of those young players that are waiting on the wings uh, to an established side. You, you know, they, they brought in, they brought in pants, came in. Uh, you've got obviously Hardik Pandia, you've got Shobhan Gill, repeating Singh, Ashan Kishan. I mean, you've, you've got some talented players. Uh, sure, there's, n- there's no shortage of talented players in India at the moment. I mean, for me, it's just getting that, that mix of them. Um, and, and I think they'll be a force. And, you know, e- even this far out, you have to say that they'll be again amongst the favourites for the 2023 World Cup, assuming Robert Sharma will be there. You will still have Virat Kohli, I would imagine, Um, will still be up there as one of the best one-day batsmen in the world. Bormuna is still a young man. You've still got the the, the two spinners that will be more effective over in India. Jadeja is still not even even that old. Um, So, you know, for me, it's just about, for them, blending players. And, yeah, they've got so much talent.
1: They've, They've got a couple of exciting years ahead of them, I think. Indeed. Well, if anything, the Indian coach... One, you have these, uh, you know, the coaches of the individual skill set. So you have a fast bowling coach, you have a spin coach, you have a batting coach and so on, fielding coach. And these people would probably take care more of the individual skill set. And these people would already be groomed at a certain level once they reach the India level and they already have the basic skills. So you would have some minor course corrections here and there. But what the coach would do, one, is run the team, uh, take care of some managerial issues, but also, you know, at the higher end probably strategize with the captains, probably identify, you know, uh, identify a potential 11 that they would be playing against and help the captain and the player strategize against each player. So, for example, if India plays New Zealand, how do you bowl against Marty Guptill? How do you bowl against Ross Taylor? How do you bowl against Ken Williamson and so on for the bowlers? And if you are the batter, how would you, how do you combat Trent Bowles across, uh, you know, over the wicket line, left arm over the wicket? Then how do you then switch over to Matt Henry? How do you then switch over to you know, all of these people, Ferguson and so on. So that's one thing. The other thing, probably, if anything, a neutral or a more strong voice in the dressing room would help somebody like Kohli because it, it, it's very obvious from what you see. Kohli is a very strongly opinionated man. And somebody who is equally strongly opinionated was probably not tolerated in that dressing room because I think that's what happened with Anil Kumle. But if you look at the longer term of what is good, it helps when somebody who's also seen a lot or played a lot of international cricket is able to challenge the perceptions that Kohli has or you know, he's still he's still a growing cricketer. Somebody who's been there, done that, can already always contribute a bit more. So how about somebody like Tom Moody, who's now been suddenly made free from his commitments with uh, Sunrisers Hyderabad? They also have floated names like Mike Hussey. These people are, uh, they have played in the Indian setup when they played the IPL or they coached in the IPL. So they know how the Indian sporting setup works. So, so they would be able to blend in easily into the let's say, the structure, but still contribute. So, uh, you know, the amount of changes that some foreign coaches were able to inject, for example, John Wright was very successful over a longer period of time. Greg Chapel was there for a short period of time. His strength was probably not very well liked. But, you know, he started this revolution where people had to be fitter. And this hierarchy that senior and junior players had among them was abolished and so on and so on. So there have been changes when other uh, people from other sporting backgrounds and other cricketing backgrounds have come in and in injected some ideas into the Indian cricket. So I'm hoping, you know, as much as I like the Virat kohli Shastri combo, maybe it is time for the Indian cricket team to bring in a f- set of fresh ideas. Even Dave Watmore, somebody who's seen and coached around the subcontinent and knows how it works, might really be able to help. These are just thoughts. We'll see how it goes, because I think uh, in a month or two, we'll get to hear the result of this uh, it's a, a choice. Right? Dave Watmore is an interesting
0: Choice, isn't it? He? Because he's been on the circuit for so many years and he's been successful with with so many international sides. And you think of his, you know, stint with the Sri Lankan side, and he, and he brought them up. Um, you know, looking around the traps, I think Mickey Arthur's another one. I'm not, I'm not sure whether he will leave Pakistan. I was reading somewhere the other day where it was like he he, he may end up um, moving on on that position. So he'd be an interesting candidate as well. Um, and, and he's been just about every single. <laughs> International team now, isn't it? You know, it seems like he's, he's always got an international gig. So, you know, whether he's he's going to be in the mix. Um, yeah, it's got to be an interesting decision, whatever whatever the way they they go.
1: Indeed. So, yeah, some thoughts on that. Some of the other things, well, you know, Masrafem Murtaza played for Bangladesh, and we thought his time in the international cricket may have come to an end. But it looks like he had decided to tour uh, Sri Lanka after all with the one-day setup of Bangladesh. Now it has come to light that he's actually injured so, he'll not be able to play, but instead, Tamim Iqbal will lead. What do you, what do you think about uh, Masrafe Murtaza's captain's ego and maybe his career going forward?
0: I think he's been a great servant for Bangladeshi cricket. You know, and he started off such as a, as a young man. He bowled a lot, a lot lot quicker back then. He's just had so many injury concerns um, for the last few years. You know, his knees are pretty much shot, aren't they? Um, but he's just been, he's a calming influence on that side. And, you um, he's a he's kind of player that's, that gives a lot of confidence to the younger players. You know, he's 35 years old now. And, you know, just with, with his injuries and, and his fitness, you'd think it's probably time for him to, to move on. In um, saying that, you know, he's, he's been such a great servant. I guess it's his, it's his decision on whether he wants to retire or not. He's still bowling effectively for Bangladesh. Um, not the big wicket taker, but, you know, more that kind of steady role uh it, with the ball these days, um, keeping it relatively tight. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I think looking ahead um, to, to their setup, you know, Bell would be a good choice. He's a, he's a fiery fella. He's a very good player. He had a poor World Cup by his standards and, and, you know, dropped that catch off Robert Charm and went on and got that, that, that big hundred. But, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's now experienced and he's really developed it in the test level. He had a, he had a good tour. To New Zealand earlier on this year, so yeah, I think um, he's a he's a very good choice as captain for Bangladesh. He's been around for a long time, Tomaneck Bell, but he's still a he's still a relatively young man.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed, he's probably uh, put all his you know younger years behind him, and now he's a very mature statesman and would be a good choice for captain going forward. I'm sure. Right. So Morgan Oin Morgan has uh, been chosen to represent the Dublin franchise in the Euro two twenty League. Have you been following the build-up to this league at all, Adam?
0: I haven't been following too much of it. Uh, I know there's a lot of Kiwis going to be involved in it and it starts um, in August. It um, should be an exciting competition. Hopefully, it will really generate some interest in, in Ireland, Scotland, and in Holland as well. Uh, it's, it's a great initiative to, to get those three countries playing T20 cricket. Um, it's an exciting brand of cricket, obviously, and, and they've got some really good players in that tournament. And Brendan McCullum, I think, from memories, i can't, I've, don't need the teams in front of me, but I know that he, he'll be playing in there. Um, plus a few of the Kiwi players, um, Man and Gupto and a few others. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting tournament to watch. We, we get coverage in New Zealand, which is going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to sitting down and, and watching some some quality cricket
1: around breakfast time. it be great to see. Indeed. Well, I mean, it looks like, uh, you know, the Amsterdam has a team, Amsterdam Knights, and Rotterdam has a team, Rotterdam Rhinos. So these two are the Dutch... Uh, teams in the tournament so I would be very you know uh, very curious if I can get a few tickets and go watch a couple of these games if I am able to I'll let you know I think it's going to be a very interesting experience for us as well going forward well uh, I just saw breaking news this is just out like an hour ago so Dhoni has made himself unavailable for the West Indies tour yeah we don't know if uh, what he has decided but it's come to light that he has made himself unavailable what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think it's probably a good time for for to, to move on. Um, to be honest, uh, like, mm. like what is he? 36, 37
1: now. He's thirty eight. Um, you've
0: got a ready made replacement in in Pant who could come to the side. Uh, and you know, you think about the, that Indian side, and you know, I've just mentioned some of the young kids that are coming through. You know, you, you've got those Dishans, You've got um, you've got, um, Kishana like should say, you've got, Amin Pret you've got Shubman Gill. you've got Shaw, you've got all these young guys. And I think it'd be a great time for Indian cricket to inter- inter- integrate all these guys into the side. And, and I think donny has been a tremendous servant for Indian cricket. He, you know, he's, he's one of the all time great one day players. He's the finisher, but there's been signs that, you know, he, in some respects, he kind of, kind of holds back in there in some respects, you know, with, with the, the way he, he, he plays, um, you know, they've relied so much on him to to finish matches off. And, and his game's definitely adapted over the last few years. And when he started off, he was such an attacking force. And, you know, we think about the helicopter shots. But, you know, I've, I've thought in that semi-final against New Zealand that he just didn't pull the trigger quick enough. And he left India with way too much to do in the last four or three overs. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he can be really leaving the ball, you know, with five overs to go. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Sure, sure, you know, he, he soaked up a lot of pressure and Jadeja at the other end played in the outstanding innings. But, you know, in, once Jadeja got out, yeah, I mean, you felt that, that it needed something special for him to get home. Um, and, like he, he's had a long career. He's, in a, he, he's mentioned he's, he's one of the all-time greats. But I think it's time for them to, to move on and, and, and blood Pant. I mean, Pant could bat in the number six or number seven spot in the Indian one-day side and play as a finisher play as the keeper-batsman, um, and then you just find two other middle-order batsmen. And you still got Kohli and you still got Darwan when he comes back from injury and Rohit Sharma.
1: Look, he has not officially retired from international cricket, and he has cited some off-field commitments, which are equally important to him because of which he will not play. So he has an honorary lieutenant colonel uh, in a parachute regiment of the territorial army, Indian army. So he's decided that uh, he will be honoring those commitments because he'd already made them previously. So it's a weird thing to cite, but doesn't matter. I mean, we'll see how it goes at the end of the West Indies tour if he's still interested in playing, because I think he'll want to play a couple more seasons of IPL and so on. So it's, it's interesting to see how he goes, but I think you hit the, point on the head when he said he might be holding them back a little but you know his 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 nose and his wisdom might still be usable in the dressing room but also on the field he could probably counsel them by standing outside the boundary line sometimes but maybe in the field his 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 involvement is probably holding India back a little you're absolutely right all right now we've discussed all the news that I really wanted to discuss going further all we have to look at is the trivia section so the trivia question from the previous episode was which was the first ever match to have a super over result? So, any any guesses on the answer, Adam?
0: So, this would have to go way back to T20 days when it first started out. Uh huh. What? It, New Zealand versus Australia, the very first T20 international?
1: No, not that, no, that far back. That was
0: a bowl off. That was a bowl off. That was a
1: bowl Andy. off. So, but you are sort of right in one of the teams. But that's why I'm asking you again. It was played in New Zealand, and New Zealand was one of the teams. Can you guess the opponent? And New when? Zealand
0: versus the West Indies.
1: Exactly. Well done. It was New Gale Zealand versus West Indies. Mad. Exactly. That match. Ah.
0: Didn't have to pull that one out, but yep.
1: <laughs> so it was uh, December 26th, you know, the Boxing Day match of 2008 between New Zealand and West Indies, and uh, the first 20 20i of the series. And West Indies won this match. You're absolutely right. Chris Gale went berserk and they scored 25 runs in the super over. And that was that. Right. And of our listeners, Yogesh got it right. And uh, we had one more answer, which was partially right, who also guessed the New Zealand-Australia match, actually, just like how you did. So Uh So we are requesting our listeners to, you know, continue writing in. This is always very encouraging for us. So the trivia question for this week is, which women's international cricket team is nicknamed Lady Chevrons? So, I hope, uh, you know, we've, we've discussed this team in today's episode. So, maybe, Adam, you already know the answer. Do you? Uh,
0: I, I don't, actually.
1: All right. So, it's something for our listeners as well as you to maybe look up when you're free, if you're interested. So, uh, you could write into us with, uh, you know, the answer to this question or your feedback, etc. cetera, uh, on the social media platforms at Armchair Crickpod. Or you could write into us on the Facebook page, right? You could write into us on the different apps you might listen in for the episode, for example, uh, Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Acast. Now we also have the episodes available on Acast. Any of these platforms, you could write it to us at gmail.com. So all of these things are still available as you know avenues for you to let us know either the answer to the question or your thoughts. Apart from that, you know, we have a lot of good Test Match Cricket resuming and coming up and a lot of good, you know, interesting points coming up to discuss in the upcoming episodes. So I, get, I hope you're all staying tuned in. So I would like to say thanks to Adam. So Adam, it has, as always, been a wonderful chat with you. So do you have anything to plug, maybe? No,
0: not at all. Not at all. It's been a, having a bit of a rest on cricket, actually, after the World Cup. It's been a whirlwind six weeks. So, yeah, not much at all happening. I'm looking forward to the, the, the test between England and Ireland this Thursday, and uh, New Zealand play a T-Series in, in a few weeks' time against Sri Lanka over in Sri Lanka. Um, so that'll be good to see, and obviously the Vitality uh, T20 series is going on at the moment, just started, and AB de Villiers smashing that 80 or, or 40-odd balls the other night, showing uh, how big a loss he was for the South African side in the World Cup. But um, yeah, it's, um, there's no really rest in cricket, is there? It's just constant cricket going on, um, some exciting cricket going on. Um, You can hear more from our podcast um, if you follow us at at CricketeersNZ um,
1: either via Facebook or on Twitter. Thanks a lot, Adam. As always, it's been a pleasure, so I would like to say goodbye. Thanks very much, Ajit.
0: Great for the chat and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon because there's so much cricket going on.
1: (laughs) Indeed, mate. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate.
0: Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.